Bring your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. And I would say while you're turning there, I did not make mention of this last weekend, uh, but Brother Douglas Walker wanted me to make sure um, that he uh, loves this church, appreciates this church, and um, I'm looking forward to him coming back and, and preaching here again, but they're, he, they've got a very good church there in, um, in the Los Angeles area, and, um, and then this morning I got a text message from Brother Stephen Williams. He said that he wanted to make sure that uh, me and Brother Patterson knew and that y'all know that he loves this church. And so I'm just passing on information. And um, and I'm, I'm glad to be here tonight. I feel the spirit and the power of the Lord here. And um, I just believe the Lord is going to work here tonight. He's going to do something in our lives. counted the choir tonight there's 25 of them up there and um, they sounded good and, and most of them look good well all of them look good and um, there's exciting things going on in this church and um, and I, I just again just last Sunday night just very deeply impressed up here standing next to where Brother Patterson's at. Uh, the Lord just very clearly spoke to me. And uh, we're going to be visited with a revival and with a harvest. And then here's what the Lord said. Kind of what that song said. No man cannot hinder it. And, and I just kind of felt confident about because I, number one, took it from my part because a lot of times I feel like that I'm not where I'll need to be. Any of y'all feel like that? You just feel like you're not quite where you want to be or you ought to be. And and yet the Lord just said, you know what? It doesn't, doesn't matter. Now, I'm not talking about being in, in things that we know we shouldn't be involved in. Uh, but if we're waiting on getting perfect, it's not going to happen power of God is going to work and there is revival that's stirring in this congregation. All you got to do is to look around and, and, and there's a revival that's coming. Now we can't just sit back and just watch and wait on it to happen. Um, I, I, want you to, I want you to do something different. And uh, if you're, you know, you've heard me say, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. And uh, several of you have also echoed that. Um, I've had folks to tell me that they have had uh, dreams. Um, others have had just an impression of the Lord, that the Lord is going to work. But here's what we have to do. We have to, work our, we have to work our Saturdays as well. And that means calling somebody, inviting somebody, and asking people to come to church. And so I'm just going to ask you to do that. Um, we used to meet for visitation on Saturdays, and uh, we may do some of that a little bit later on in the year. Uh, but our, our small groups have started. Bring somebody to those small groups. Invite somebody to church. Bring them. Help them. Because that's the way we're going to grow. And uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be inconvenient. But I'm going to tell you what, when you get to the other side, you're going to thank the Lord that you had some inconvenience because you encouraged and helped somebody to find their way into the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6, and I'm going to read. Brother Patterson has read this uh, series of scriptures for the last three Wednesday nights, but I would like to start in verse 4. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4. The Bible says, Therefore it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost 
and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end it is to be burned. And um, I hope that you comprehended what, what we read here tonight. And let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts and our spirits uh, with His Word and that the Holy Ghost would minister here tonight in this congregation. Lord, I pray Jesus tonight. God, this Scripture speaks to those, Lord, that have been enlightened. And I am asking you, Lord, tonight that you turn the lights on in this church. That God, that the spirit of illumination would come into this house. And Lord, that there would be revelation and wisdom and knowledge. But I pray, God, also that you protect our minds from error. I pray, God, that you do not let the God of this world blind our minds. I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that you help every single one of us, Lord, to be part, God, and become a, a branch. Lord, you're the vine, we're the branches. And I pray, Lord, tonight that all of us, God, that we get plugged in, Lord, to that life-giving flow that your Spirit brings. Lord, this is a troubling passage. And I ask you, Lord, tonight that you let every one of us let our minds be serious, let our minds be sober and aware, Lord, of what, this, what these verses say. Because, Jesus, we must be saved. I pray, Lord, that on this congregation here tonight, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I uh, <clears throat> did fail to mention to you we will pray after <clears throat> uh, tonight and we go in dismissal, but Sister Lee... Uh, has been admitted to the hospital. She had a fall uh, this afternoon, and there's some concern about her hip. And so let's do pray for uh, Sister Lee <clears throat> that the Lord would touch her body. I want to preach to you on this thought about the inability to repent. This passage that <clears throat> I read to you here tonight, we've heard that passage for probably a month or so now, Brother Patterson has, uh, has, has been in this passage. And generally speaking, I, I try not to, uh, whatever he's teaching on Bible study, I try to stay out of it because, but I will tell you, there's been a number of times in the past, some of the things Brother Patterson has, has taught on Wednesday nights that it so got my heart and spirit that I did want to preach it. And when he said a few weeks ago, when he was talking about the four souls, which is a picture of the types of the soul, uh, and he said that he wanted this word to fall on good ground and for us to go home and to think about this passage. Um, I took him at his word, and so what I'm preaching to you here tonight is some of the outflow of what he taught on those Wednesday nights. John Bunyan, and I have mentioned him so many times to you, and uh, here in a few weeks when we get Sister Brooks' bookstore up and going, uh, I will make sure that that bookstore from here on out has copies of Pilgrim's Progress uh, that are stocked on those bookshelves there. 
there's a variety of characters that you find in uh, that particular book. It's an allegory, a parable, whatever you want to call it. But there's a place where that, that Bunyan allows Christian to visit, and whenever he goes into that uh, place, we run into a very troubling character, and that man's name is the man in the iron cage. A Christian, whenever he goes into that, he is in one of the rooms of what is referred to as the house of the interpreter. The house of the interpreter is, is nothing more than the Word of God. And uh, whenever, whenever Christian walks in there into that, uh, that building, that, that place, that house, uh, there's a picture on the wall, and it is a picture of a pastor, and and uh, his description talks about how that uh, he is a serious man. He is a man that uh, looks toward heaven, and yet he also is aware of the calling that he has to those that come through that house of interpreter. He has in his hand some books, and he's given to interpreting or to preaching the scriptures to those that come through that particular place. And yet whenever Christian looks and sees that man that is locked up in that iron case, he observes a man that is very sad. He sees a man that uh, is at a place of despair. He's at a place where that depression has really uh, caused him to have a very a downcast face and his hands are folded there in his lap almost in a place of defeat. And so when Christian walks in there, he sees that man and then he begins to hear what that man is doing. The man is not speaking. But there is constantly a place where that the man is sighing and you have felt I'm sure there have been times where unconsciously you have found yourself in a situation that you really uh, did not enjoy being in or a set of circumstances that uh, you were having to contend with and the sighs came. The, the, you've been there before. And Christian listened to that man and over and over that was the response that was coming from the man that was there in the iron cage. And so then the pastor comes up and, and begins to speak to Christian and tells him uh, that this man here is in a great predicament and that the iron cage is really uh, a picture of the iron bars of where that this man has gotten himself into a place where that he has lost hope in God's forgiveness and in the salvation that the Lord provides. He, he says when you look at the iron bars, he said there is a, a part there where that, that it proves almost that, that this is a prison of despair that can literally lock up a soul. But as Christian begins to look around, there's something else that he notices, and that's this, that that room is totally filled with darkness, that there is very little light that is inside of that room. All the other rooms in that place have been lit. There's a candle that provides illumination, and, and the interpreter begins to tell Christian, he says that here is what is taking place, is that there is no illumination. I don't know if you are aware, but there's times whenever uh, you read the Word of God and something clicks in your mind and you say, I've never seen it like that before. What you have just experienced is what the old timers called the spirit of illumination, which is what the Holy Ghost does whenever we read the Word of the Lord. It's almost like you're reading and then the light is flipped on in that and your understanding is opened up. And, and yet in this room, it's totally dark. The spirit is absent from that. And, and the man in the iron cage, he, he once knew what it was like to be filled with the spirit. 
and to be filled with the word. But what had happened to his life is this, is that he had flirted with sin for so long that sin had gotten a grip on his mind and on his spirit. But there was something else that had taken place and that was this, and that is the warnings and the commands of scripture that they no longer had any impact on uh, this man's mind and on his life. And instead of having uh, a restraint on the passions that his flesh presented, he just allowed his flesh just to take off and to just run in a direction that got him in to that place. It was almost like it was a wild horse that was running and had fallen into that trap of sin. And, And as he did that, as he got involved in that sin, whatever that sin may have been, and I used this this morning in the Sunday school lesson that that a lot of times our fear is that we worry about, well, this generation doesn't so much do it as much as previous generations, but people used to worry about, have I blasphemed the Holy Ghost? I hardly ever hear anybody saying or using that term in uh, our day now. But, but that sin is not so much necessarily the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. It is just a sin that has become a, a, a habitual sin, something that, that continually is in that person's life until they have learned how to move in and out and they no longer feel convicted and there is no true repentance in their lives and, and their prayers are really limited and the word has, has hardened their heart and they are gospel hardened. They cannot hear what the word of God says and it is a place where uh, that they are not responsive to the word or the spirit. Jesus said in Luke 8 and 13, he said, they on the rock are they, which when they hear, they receive the word with joy and these have no root, which for a while they believe and then when temptation comes, they fall away. And while there is a part of us that wants to sometimes put a uh, a price tag or or perhaps a priority on uh, the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, I would tell you that if you come to a place in your life or if I come to a place in my life that I'm comfortable with my sin and that I'm not convicted by the sin that is there, it's at that point that the Spirit begins to withdraw draw and my spirit and my heart becomes harder and harder. What is taking place in that man's life that is there on the rocky soil? He heard the word, Jesus said, and he received that word with joy but whenever the temptation came into his life, it always moved him in a wrong direction and again, I just want to caution you about being friends with sin that is in your life. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 tells us that we should lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Why would he say that? Is because he was aware that you can come to a place where it no longer bothers you. So what's taking place in the mind? Well, that that man in that iron cage, now he's at a place where that, that he has concern. He's concerned about his soul. He, he's got grief there about the way that he has treated the Lord with such disdain. And now he starts looking around trying to find the pleasure that that sin once brought to his life in the past. But, but now is sin they mock him and they bite him. They are almost like that burning, quenching word or unquenching worm that is in Mark chapter 9 that Jesus talked about where he said that worm does not die. Now he's looking back and he's saying, I wish those sins that had brought me pleasure at that time that now they would bring me a sense of pleasure, but but they're not to be. He, he has his eyes on eternity and 
man. He looks at the worldly lust and the pleasures and the profits that he once thought was important, but now they have no value whatsoever. And I will get to that here in a little bit toward the end of this message. And this man has gotten to a place where that he feels like that the Lord can no longer touch him and work in his heart again. We all meet people like that. And and this church for 50 plus years have been here. There are people that have come through the doors of this church that they have allowed themselves to fall into that trap where that they are no longer convicted by their sin but because of a perpetual action that they have been involved in that it no longer bothers them. And I will tell you this, I'm preaching to myself here tonight, y'all are just along for the ride because I sat over there for three Wednesday nights while Brother Patterson was going through this passage and I asked the Lord, please, Lord, don't ever let me get to that place where it is impossible for me to repent and turn my life back in your direction. There's five specific warnings that you find throughout the book of Hebrews. And I won't tell you all of them, but I will tell you which one that it is in Hebrews 6 that we read here tonight. And the warning that comes from chapter 5, verse 11 to the end of chapter 6 and verse 20. What is the warning? The warning is there is don't let yourself fall into a degenerate state. That's what he's saying. There's others, not to drift and, and, and so forth. And the mind can do all sorts of things to us and it is important that we do not allow our minds to come in to a place where that we buy into the false lies that the devil would send in our direction. The entire letter to the Hebrews needs to be a sobering epistle to every one of us as we move forward on our way to heaven. If you have your Bibles open, I would like for you to look with me just a few pages over to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25. And what we have to do is we have to keep in mind this fact. That sin is just a fleeting pleasure. It is momentary. It will last for a season. It is a brief flash in comparison to eternity. But look at what Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25 says, speaking about Moses. It said, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The writer is saying to us, he's telling us, he's saying, I'm not going to tell you that sin does not bring pleasure to your life. It does. There are things that sin brings into our lives that is enjoyable. That is what makes temptation so appealing to all of us. And we have to somehow be sober and be vigilant because our devil, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. But Moses was here at this place and he said, I've got a choice that I want to make and I'm going to choose affliction over the pleasures of sin. Look at the word there, what the Lord is saying to us. He is saying that there are times where there will be seasons of affliction in your life and you have to make a choice that you will not go in the direction of pleasure, but you will stay in a place where that it may put pressure on you. It, it may cause you to feel like that you're trapped, that you are at a place where that you cannot enjoy life. And yet he tells us that that all is going to last just for a season. We can't understand that season because we live by time. 
And yet time has no comparison to eternity here tonight. I plead with you tonight, church, as much as I plead with myself to gather in that thought that our lives only last for a season. There's coming an eternity that's going to be in front of us. And the most important words that you want to hear, I know this is old hat. You've heard me say this a thousand times, but you want to hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You do not want to hear the words, depart from me. I never knew you. You don't want to hear those words. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing here tonight. We are coming into a place to say, Lord, help me to understand the priorities of what you call me to do and what you have called me to be. But but I also tell you this, there's a joy that comes to us from moving forward in our walk with the Lord because turn back just a page there to Hebrews 10 and look in verse 34. The Bible says there, For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Now, Paul was a writer of that. Then it's clear. He's saying, we understand. Paul, you're in prison, and things were sent to you, and that's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen. He said, you took joyfully and you had compassion on me in my bonds and you have that thought of heaven that is an enduring substance. But look at verse 35. He said, don't cast away therefore your confidence which is going to have a great recompense or a payoff of your reward. He was saying that I want you to grasp this that even though you may be in prison that there is joy that is in the journey and there's coming a day when the Lord is going to right all the wrongs and for all of the wrongs he is going to take care of those injustices those things that sometimes come against the church the Lord is going to set those things in order sometimes it happens down here which is what the Bible says but then there's other times where that we have to wait until eternity before justice is going to be fully meted out and the demands are going to be paid but here is what the writer of Hebrews is saying is don't throw away your confidence don't throw away your assurance you just believe this that what the Lord has put in your heart and he's put in your spirit he is going to save you to the uttermost and then the Lord whenever he went to the cross He went for the joy of our salvation. Turn over to Hebrews 12 and look with me to verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Pay attention to that. You're not the author and the finisher of your faith, but the Lord is, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such a contradiction of sinners against himself unless you be wearied and faint in your mind. Think about what's the contradiction of sinners. It's the spitting. It's the reaching up and the pulling of the beard and trying to tear it away. It's the mockery of the soldiers. It is the jeering and the barbs that comes from those Roman soldiers. It's the sarcasm that comes from the religious society there. And and Hebrews is telling us, I want you to know this, that there is some joy in your salvation. And whenever you get weary down in your mind and in your spirit, look to the cross Pay attention to the cross. Turn your eyes in the direction of the cross. I'm just going to preach to you here tonight that whenever sin enters into your life and there is a temptation that is moving your way, if you would look to the cross, I'll tell you there will be deliverance because you see in the cross, you would turn your back and say, it's not worth me being involved in 
this sin at the expense of what the cross has done in my life. I want to tell you something, church. I'm not a great preacher, but I'm a biblical preacher. But listen to me right now. The anointing of the Holy Ghost is in this building, and I sense it. I sense the authority of the Spirit of God in this place, and the Word is having free course. Oh, in the name of Jesus. You, you need to know that. There is preaching and then there is preaching. And the anointing of the Holy Ghost is not only on me here tonight, but it's on you while you're sitting here in these pews. I'm going to encourage you with everything inside of you. Get this world in your rear view mirror and look to the cross. There's a crown. There's a robe. There is something that's going to be in front of us. It's going to be worth it all, church every long heartache every long mile it's going to be worth it all when we see the Lord Jesus Christ (laughs) (laughs) and so this passage here in Hebrews 12 is warning us it's, it's saying don't let yourself become degenerate and that, that's something that we have to do is that we realize that you cannot fall into a place of false assurance. What is false assurance? You say, oh, that, that's not Pentecostal words. Oh, yes, it is. Because there's times where people come in and out of Pentecostal churches and they have a sense of false assurance. They say, I'm saved. I know everything is okay. And they are deceiving themselves. And deeply at the heart level, they know they're trying or they know they're deceiving themselves but if they go through the motions if they somehow allow themselves to feel the role and to play the role they say well then I'm going to be okay get that out of your mind and out of your spirit and ask yourself the question is the Lord Jesus Christ pleased with my last 24 hours is he pleased with the last 7 days is he pleased with the last month the last last 90 days, the last year, the last five years of my life. It's in those moments that you begin to evaluate your heart that you start realizing, I know, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that salvation is working in my life. Not perfection, but salvation. Now I want to walk through these verses here. Verses 4 through 6 of Hebrews 6, if you want to turn back in your Bibles there. It says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God that in the powers of the world to come that they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. And, and in these verses here, in these three verses here is what we find. There's a who, there is a what, and there is a why that I'm going to talk to you about here in the next few minutes. He's saying, that that he's seen. He said he's seen people come to a place in their walk with the Lord where that uh, he can say, who are these people? Well, let's look at that. The who, who are these people? Well, we look at the text. They are those that have been enlightened. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They've been partakers of the Holy Ghost. And they've tasted the good word of God. And they've tasted the powers of the world to come. What, what, does, all, what does all of that mean? Well, here, here's what it means. It means they have enjoyed the blessings of God. They've enjoyed the will and the purpose of God. And, and uh, I want to tell you this tonight. Enlightenment is a blessing. 
Then whenever you have the light that's turned on in your heart and in your spirit as you start looking through the word of the Lord, that is a blessing for you to be able to say, I see what the word of God is saying there. And so he says, who are these people? He said, these people are ones that their minds have been exposed to a supernatural light. Light has dispersed the darkness and now their minds is full of light. And and here's another blessing they have tasted of the Holy Ghost and the Lord has moved the penalty for sin out of their lives. They've got the Holy Ghost. Not perfect, but they're forgiven. And now they have enjoyed that matter of the sin being removed out of their lives and them being convicted. Now listen, conviction of sin is a work of the Holy Ghost. But I want you to know this, just because you're convicted of sin, the not mean that you have been filled with the Spirit. Because we can be convicted. What does conviction feel like? It feels like the Lord pulling on your heart. He's prompting things in your heart and in your spirit. It generally takes place while that we're under worshiping God under the word and the Lord. And, and the word is bringing us in to a place where that we are being convicted. But conviction of sin, what is the purpose? It is to move us toward an understanding of saying, I need the Lord. I need the Holy Ghost. I need to be born again. I need to repent of my sins. I need to be water baptized by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. And I need to receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's what conviction is moving us toward. And so I would just tell you here tonight is don't waste the conviction. When the Lord starts convicting your heart, don't waste it. Respond to that conviction that the Lord is bringing into your heart. There's another blessing that that is here, and that's that they have tasted of the good Word of God. Constant exposure to the Word of God. I I just want to confess to you, I'm going to repent of it right now. You think, oh my Lord, what in the world is He going to do? I just want you to forgive me for all of the bad sermons that I have preached in the past. I figured I'd get some kind of response out of that. You would say. I wasn't fishing for that, Brother Joe. I'm just telling you, I look at I look at some of the old sermons that I used to preach in, in times past, and here's what happens to rookies is a lot of times it's about it's so full of us. Now that I'm I'm getting a little bit of age on me, I'm like, Lord, forgive me. For, for, for doing some of that in time. Let me be a word preacher. And that's why I'm so forceful about it is that every time we come to the house of God, you need to drink and eat from the word of the Lord. It's not my words, but it's God's words because there's going to come a day that my words don't mean anything to you, but if you can grasp the word of God, Oh, Jesus, if you can get a hold of the Word of God, you'll quote 1 Corinthians 15 to me on your deathbed just like Sister Paramore did. That's the purpose of what we're doing is for you to taste of the good Word. It's not about a performance. It's not about turning preachers in to rock stars, which we have notoriously done in the Pentecostal movement. But it is literally the work of the pulpit to try to get the word in your heart and in your spirit so that when you go home the word is still turning over in your heart Monday and Tuesday it's the word it's not me it's not brother Patterson it's not brother Chad it's not our lay ministers but it's the word that is appealing to your mind and to your spirit and here's what he says He says those people have had a They've tasted of the good word of God. There's a constant exposure to the necessity for us that we somehow... Now, when you taste of it, you can't do it like you do food. 
Because there's times where you taste a food and you're like, I don't want that. Somebody tried to feed me some, some sushi. Is it a nice restaurant too? And I'm going to tell you what I have learned to do as an adult. When I was a kid, you just spit it out. I, I, I can't take that. I don't want that. But what you do as an adult, when you got a little, you got a little manners and you, it tastes bad, just swallow it whole, okay? Just, just get you a big gulp of whatever you're drinking and you swallow it down. And, and oh, yeah, it tastes good, but I, I won't care for any more. Now, for all you sushi lovers in here, you you y'all keep eating it, okay? But 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 there's time you can't do the word like that. You've got to say, Lord, remember what the Old Testament said. I believe Jeremiah or maybe Ezekiel. Then the Lord spoke to him. He said, "Here's the thing." He said, "It's gonna taste bitter in your mouth." He said, "But when you swallow it, it's gonna be sweet to your spirit." And that's the way that the word works in our lives, and we have to be tasting of the word of God. But but yet they experienced something else the Bible speaks of as it says that they experienced the powers of the age to come. They have seen the miraculous. They have tasted of the power of the Spirit and we have got to have that in the church here this morning, tonight. We need it Wednesday night. We'll need it next Sunday. We'll need it in our prayer. Every time we walk in here, the power of the Spirit needs to be here but the writer cautions he said they've seen miracles they've tasted the power of the spirit they've tasted listen to me just in a small measure of what heaven is going to be like and one of the reasons I wanted brother Pierce to say what he said to you this morning is because when you come in here and you feel the safety and the security of a sanctuary What's taking place? The Lord is helping you to get a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. I mean, can y'all imagine that? Brother Paul, no more worrying about your arm and, and no more worrying about a body that, that won't heal correctly. No more worrying about broken relationships. No more worrying about kids out of control. No more worried about financial pressures. No more job pressures. No more stresses of life. And there's times you walk in here. That's why we sing congregational singing, church. That we don't want to turn it into a performance. So you watch what's taking place on this. I don't like the word you stage. I, I like it. it rather, it's a platform. And that's why we want you singing out there in the pews we want you praying we want you participating because you can't afford to walk in to the house of God and say hey let's have a show that's not the purpose the purpose is is for us to come in here and to lift up the Lord why because we're trying to taste for a little while we're trying to get a little taste of heaven where the distress and the pressures are gone. But listen to me, there's coming a day when you get to heaven that every bit of it that you're battling with and struggling tonight in your mind, all of that is gone. And the Lord, we're going to be in the fellowship of the Lord. We're going to be in the fellowship of saints. We're going to be in a safe place. There will be no devil. There will be no demons. And you'll listen to an angel choir that's singing in the background. And there's going to be joy. There's going to be hope. There's going to be freedom. There's going to be deliverance. There's going to be healing. Every bit of that is going to be in a place called heaven. And that's why you've got to be there. And that's why you've got to get there. And yet the writer of Hebrews is saying these people, they, they have experienced that. They've seen all that. But then he comes along and he says, well, what, what's the condition? That's in, in verse 6, first part. They've fallen away. <coughs> they <coughs> can't be renewed to repentance. I will tell you that every time I read this text, that my mind is drawn back 40 years or so ago whenever I was at senior camp. And I remember my wife being there. I remember Sister Annette uh, McCoy being there. And Brother O.R. Foss got up and read this text to us campers. 
uh, would have been sometime in the 70s. And I'm going to tell you what, it was a sobering, sobering scripture for every one of us to hear. But he says they, they have fallen away and they can't be removed, renewed to repentance. Now, the, the word there indicates that they have fallen away, but how did that take place? It was a gradual falling away. It didn't happen overnight. You're not going to backslide overnight. You'll backslide by degrees. You'll start, you'll start, your prayer life will cool off. Your devotion to the Lord will just get less important. Coming to the house of the Lord, what's it about? It's coming to see people, what they're wearing, what they're driving, what's going on at their job. Moving around in the halls, hanging out, having a party. That's how you backslide. You backslide by degrees. And the writer of Hebrews is saying they, they have fallen away. How does that happen? Turn back to Hebrews 5 and look with me in verse 11. It says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, but I see you're dull of hearing, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I, there's some things that I need to say to you. They're hard for me to say. You're dull of hearing, and you're in a place of spiritual, mature, spiritual immaturity, and so you can't handled. They become dull of hearing. And dullness of hearing will move you into a place where that all of a sudden it's like, bang. You're like, what happened? Well, they're out. They're backslidden. They're involved in this or that or the other. How did that happen? It didn't happen last week. It started two years ago. It started gradually, gradually. Gra Don't talk to me like that, Brother Harrelson. Don't preach like that, Brother Patterson. Brother Saint, don't say that to me. Sister Saint, don't try to be watching out. You take care of your own life and don't worry about me. And that gradually moves us to that place where the falling away starts. The man in the iron cage... There's a scripture that he's compared to. Turn over back again a few pages to Hebrews chapter 12. This man that is here in this iron cage, what, what's he doing? He's, he's distressed. He's despondent. He's in a place where he says that there is no way that the Lord can help. But look in Hebrews 12 and look with me in verse 16. It says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Here's, here's what he says in verse 16. He says, I tell you what, he says, I'm going to take all I can and I'm going to sell it for a bowl of oatmeal. I'm, I'm going to take all of these things that the Lord wants to give to me through a blessing. Abraham, or Isaac rather, wanted to bless Esau. And we know that Jacob was the intended man, but yet it's here that Esau... Notice what brought him to that place. He was a fornicator. He was a profane person which caused him to lust after a morsel, a piece of meat. So he comes along, he says, Jacob, give me that bowl of soup. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you the birthright for a bowl of soup. You see, the falling away is a resistance to the Holy Ghost. And where you continue to resist and quench and fight against the voice of the Spirit. 
and the falling away that took place in Esau's life, there were similar reasons that Israel fell away. And you find this through the book of Hebrews. Brother Patterson's been walking us through. And if you understand, here's what happens. They remove their trust. They said, we don't trust God. What else did they do? They rejected his authority and his salvation and then they denied him of his worship. What was taking place? They were falling away. And Esau tried and tried to repent, but he got to the place, even to the point of tears, he was pleading with the Lord. He's saying, Lord, please, you've got to touch me. You've got to somehow help me to get to the place where that I can feel the Spirit again. But the Bible says that even though he sought it carefully with tears, it did not come to him. Why? Because his mind had gotten to a place where he could not repent. I'm going to repeat this again that I said earlier. That's why it is important for you to not let besetting sins continue to bother and pull at your life. Because if you're still battling the same thing you were battling a year ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, the more that you struggle with that sin and do not get deliverance and power over it through a work of the Holy Ghost and through the touch of the Spirit, what happens? It's just more and more and more. You're, you're harder and you're at a place where you're like... Oh, I wish I could feel the presence of God. But instead, what you have to do is you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put the suit on, you gotta get the tie right, you gotta get the Bible, you gotta play a role. Because you don't want people to look and see what's really at the place and the state that your heart's at. And as time goes on, the heart gets harder and harder and harder. Here, here is, here's the why. Why? why? What, what are they? Who are they? Why? That's in verses 6, the first part of verse 4, and the last part of verse 6. Why do they get to a place where they have fallen away? Is because they continually crucify the Son of God afresh and they continue to put him to an open shame. Think about that. It's heavy, isn't it? It's ways like, oh, I wish we could preach something that's encouraging. Go, go, go listen to last Sunday morning. That was encouraging. But tonight... The soberness. Turn over to Hebrews 13. The process of enlightenment. In the falling away, they re-crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, he suffered without the gate. That means he was outside the city. He was outside Jerusalem at a place called Golgotha. He said, so what we need to do is we need to go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. The Lord sanctified us with Calvary. He set us aside with Calvary. He purchased our salvation with Calvary. He moved into a place of reproach. Think about this. Easter's on its way. We'll preach about the crucifixion. You see pictures a lot of times of the Lord hanging on a cross. I want to say this is as diplomatically as I can. But in those pictures, the Lord is covered 
But the reality is he had nothing. Absolute, utter humiliation. And those people that stood at the cross, at the foot of the cross, the Bible says that some of them, they wagged their heads and they laughed at him. And there was no covering. And the Lord, he did that so that you could be saved and so that I could be saved. I got the Holy Ghost when I was seven. I had no clue. I just knew Brother Patterson was preaching that if you're not ready, you're going to miss a rapture. And so some of my salvation was worked out with fear and trembling. And that's how that I prayed through to the Spirit of God. But as I've gotten older, there is a value now that I realize that the cross has for me that it did not have years ago. That ought to be the same for every one of us because the Lord went outside of a camp. He was filled with reproach so he could cover our sins. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says they they love the things that put him on that cross and they crucify him over and again and again and again and they put him to an open shame. You say, what does that look like? It looks like Revelation 21 and 8, but the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, The murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. And the writer of Hebrews is saying when you allow your life to dabble around in a place where you cannot repent then every time you get involved in sin you're taking another nail and running it through one hand and through another hand and through some feet and you're taking that crown and shoving it down on his head and you're standing there at the foot of the cross and you say you saved you said you could save others now save yourself do do you see that? that that's what the Bible says if you can repent You are so blessed. You are so blessed. If you can fall into an altar and you can say, Lord... Uh, forgive me I know I should not have held those things in my heart I know I should not have gotten involved in those sorts of actions if you can repent listen to me that's one of the greatest values that you have in your life but Besetting sins, hindering weights. Sister Regina, if you could come to the piano. If you keep doing that, you'll come to a point where you cannot repent. What what kind of sins? Ungodliness, discontentment, unthankful, pride selfishness a lack of self-control irritability anger judgmentalism envy jealousy greed sins of the tongue worldliness won't forgive hold on to revenge hang on to things in your life and you keep coming and singing and you keep coming and going through the motions and you get to a place where you got everybody else fooled. You've almost fooled yourself 
but the Lord knows. In addition to those, Galatians 5, 19 through 21 from the ESV. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I, I don't ever want you to get to that place where you have an inability to repent. Even sometimes if our repentance is motivated by embarrassment that we got caught because the crucial thing is this it's not our embarrassment not that we've been caught but the greatest blessing in life is that you can repent word has not fallen on hard ground. It's not fallen on thorny ground. Lord, I have felt no resistance tonight from this congregation while I have preached. And I'm thankful for that. But Lord, your work and your word is not finished until there is a response. Pray, Jesus, tonight that, that we find altars of repentance, altars of renewal, altars of forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that tonight on this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open. If you want to talk to the Lord, if you want to kneel where